<laughs> okay. First Chronicles, chapter 12, verse 32. The men of Issachar who understood that had an understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Now, this is not just an understanding of the financial situation of the times. This is not an understanding of the political situation of the times. There's far more to this than that. This is an understanding of the spiritual nature of the times. Everybody say the spiritual nature. When this thing all began, I began to teach you out of Psalms 91. Nor the pestilence, verse 6, that stalks in the darkness. Everybody puts all of the emphasis, and I keep driving this home, because everybody puts all the emphasis on this COVID-19 as if this is the big deal. I'm sorry. The pestilence is the symptom. The pestilence can only do what it's doing because it stalks in darkness. It stalks where? Without this spiritual environment of darkness that has come across the earth right now, this pestilence could not be doing what it is doing. We have to understand this is a season of darkness. Jesus said it this way in Luke 22, verse 53. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Now again, every time I teach that, I remind you that, that when a season of darkness comes, that does not cause fear in our hearts as a Christian. When Jesus said that, a few moments later, he revealed himself and said, I am he. And Satan inside of Judas was on the ground before him. Every knee bowed. Even in a season of darkness, Jesus is Lord. I, I can't hear you. I can't hear the cars. Even in a season of darkness, God still sits on his throne. Jesus still sits at the right hand of the Father. The promises of God are true. Faithful is he who has promised. Jesus is ever living to make intercession for us. Everything is still true and everything still works. But we have to understand the environment in which we are living. Paul, as he began to prepare the church for the changes that were coming to what was then called Asia, said in Ephesians 6 verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand or withstand in the evil day. In the what day? Now Paul recognized that there were some difficult times coming for Asia. A great revival had swept over what was then called Asia, the area of the seven churches. Great revival had swept over it. Satan moved his throne to Pergamum about a hundred kilometers away. And for the next generation, persecution and all kinds of difficult things began to happen. But Paul said, listen, you're going to have to put on the full armor of God so that you can stand on the evil day. There comes a time in which you and I just have to recognize we are in this world, but we are not of this world. And there will be evil going on around us, and there will be seasons when darkness reigns around us. But it doesn't change a thing for us. Everybody say, nothing changes. We just have to understand this is the environment I'm living in. Just like if I picked up Pastor Manalo and threw him into a swimming pool 12 feet deep, he's now in a different environment. His arm still works, his leg still works, but instead of walking, he swims. You and I have to understand, in this season of darkness, everything of the promises of God still works. We just have to understand how to do things in this season. So we've been learning how to take a stand. We talked about having a mature thought life, holding true to what we've already attained, standing with the leadership that God has given to us, and remembering that our focus is not on this earth. 
this is not our home. We learned that Paul said, listen, you are citizens of heaven from which you eagerly await a Savior. Everybody say, come quickly, Jesus. Can you imagine what that day is going to be like? Can you imagine? Maybe it'll happen in a 10 a.m. service. There's going to be a little bit of a traffic jam coming out of uh, Serenity, but downtown always has traffic jams. That was a joke, but never mind. Uh, the dead in Christ rise first, so there's going to be a traffic jam coming out of serenity. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, and we're going to see Jesus face to face. This is not our home. We have that blessed hope of the rapture. We are eagerly awaiting a Savior. The other day I was looking at some of the things going on in the world. And I just sat down and began to pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Jesus, wouldn't it be wonderful if you just came today? It is not that we want to escape, but we want to see him. And everybody said, now, our two primary verses, Ephesians 6, verse 13. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, stand firm. Everybody said, having done all, stand firm. Philippians 4 verse 1, therefore my dear brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord. Now we talked about standing firm. We talked about how God gives us strength to stand firm. We talked about where God has us stand. We stand in a firm place, true grace, faith, in Christ, in the local church that we've been planted in, and on the word. Everybody shout on the word. Then last week we got a little bit more confrontational. We talked about from Ezekiel. Let me read you the passage again. Ezekiel chapter 13 verse 5. You have not gone up into the breaches, the broken places, or built up the wall for the house of Israel that it might stand in battle in the day of the Lord. We learn from the book of Nehemiah that our, our soul is like a wall of our lives. And every temptation comes through the soul. Every temptation that Satan will bring, every attack that Satan will bring, he will bring against our emotions, our desires, our thoughts, our attitudes. It all comes through the soul. So we need to recognize that Satan will attack the weak places. If there are breaches, if there are broken places of our soul, Satan will attack there. If there are weak places in our soul, Satan will attack there. So we began to talk about strengthening these weak areas of our souls and doing a little bit of self-examination. We talked about some of our desires getting weird and desires for the love of money and lust and things like that we didn't get into, but there's a lot of those things. If there's, if there's wrong desires in your heart, that will be a place that will be attacked. We talked about attitudes of humility, stubbornness, uh, I don't need anybody, trusting in your own wealth. Let me give you another verse in 2 Chronicles 26, verse 16 on, on humility and pride. 2 Chronicles 26, verse 16. We read it this week in our devotions. But when he, King Uzziah, when he was strong, he grew proud to his own destruction. I want some people when they're, they're nobodies and they're just getting started, they're the most wonderful people in the world. But when they begin to be successful and they begin to have money, they grow strong, and therefore they put the verse back up there. Back up. For when he was strong, he grew proud. Back up. To his destruction. Pride always comes before a fall. So keep your heart humble before the Lord. 
Now, we won't get review any more of that because I want to spend time today. Now, after we've gone through all of this, we get to a place where we go, you know what? I've done everything I know to do. I've done everything I know to do. What do I do now? You stand. Everybody say, I stand. Now, now some of you are at that place and you go, Pastor, I've done everything I know to do. What now? You stand. And having done all, Ephesians 6.13, to stand firm. Everybody say, having done all. Now, Paul looks at us and says, you know what? There comes a time that you've done everything you know to do. And now you just have to make a decision. Stand my ground. Everybody say, stand my ground. Now, part of this means you don't run. Everybody say, I'm not a runner. Now, you have to understand, running away from a problem, running away from a crisis, does not bring peace. It brings a cascade of failure. We need to nothing. Cascade of failure. Isaiah 24, verse 18. He who flees at the sound of terror shall fall into a pit. And he who climbs out of the pit shall be caught in the snare. Same thing in Jeremiah 48, verse 44. He who flees from the terror shall fall into the pit. And he who climbs out of the pit shall be caught in the snare or the trap. Now, now look at what God is trying to say. He said, when you start running away, you're going to fall. Everybody say, I'm going to fall. Say it again. And then after you climb back up and get on your feet again, then you're going to get caught in a trap. That is a cascade of failure and disaster. Now, as your pastor for over 40 years, I've watched people do this. When all they had to do was stand their ground, as Moses told the people of Israel, stand still and see the salvation of your God. If they had started to run, the Egyptian army would have killed them. But they had to learn, stand still and see the salvation of your God. They had no idea that God was going to part the sea and they were going to walk over on dry ground. They had no idea what kind of a miracle that God had for them. All God asked them to do was stand still. Everybody shout, stand still. Now, now some of you, please, I don't want to say this harshly. But some of you, you're looking at things and you have no idea. How will we survive this? What are we going to do? And you just need to recognize, your God will never fail you. Your God will never forsake you. You may be like the people of Israel. You have no idea how God is going to do the miracle. But God is going to part the sea for you and your family. But if you turn and run, if you run from the terror... There is nothing but disaster and a cascade of disasters ahead. Look at the people around you and shout, stand your ground. Shout it again. Think of our Savior as an example. In Mark chapter 14, as they come to arrest him in the garden, he knew they were coming. He didn't run away. He went out to meet them. He didn't look at the apostles and say, hey, these guys are coming with clubs to bless me. Let's run and get out of here real quick. It's dark. He could have escaped. But Jesus was not a runner. He went out to face the terror of the night. 
He went out to face that crowd with clubs and swords. And he didn't hide behind the apostles. He went out and stood his ground right in front of them. Who are you looking for? They said, Jesus. He said, I am he. Boom. And they're all on the ground. Jesus was not a runner. Everybody shout, Jesus did not run. Everybody shout it, Jesus did not run. See, you might think that running is escape. But running is not escape. Running is disastrous. You have to learn. I will stand my ground. I've done everything I know to do. Everything the Bible has taught me to do, I've done it. There's nothing more I know to do. I've rolled away the proverbial stone. I've done everything God asked me to do to receive a miracle. Now, there's only one thing left to do. I choose to stand. Everybody shout, stand my ground. Say it again. Now, the apostles did not follow the example. You look in Matthew chapter 26, verse 56, it says, Then all the disciples left him and fled. Young John Mark, whose mother probably owned the Garden of Gethsemane. Later you see John Mark uh, with Barnabas and all the trouble there. And he ran away again. Everybody say, you keep running. Everybody say, keep running. John Mark also ran away. Mark chapter 14, verse 52. He ran away. When things got hard, getting ready to climb the mountain up to the Galatian Peninsula, he ran away and went back home to Mama. See, once you start running, you create a lifestyle of running. You have to learn. I've done everything I know to do. There's nothing more to do except stand still and see the salvation of my God. God will do the miracle. I've rolled away the stone. God will do the miracle. I've returned to the Lord his tithe. God will open the windows of heaven upon my family. Are we still here? Now, take it a step farther. Look at some of the people in the Bible that were not runners. Everybody say, not runners. Nehemiah 6, beginning with verse 11. Nehemiah, and he's a type of the Holy Spirit. His name, Nehemiah, means comforter. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. Now, these people had prophesied that he should run and hide in the temple. Well, you know, King has a, if you go back there to what we read with King Uzziah, he got proud. When he grew strong, he got proud. Well, he went into the temple and wanted to act like a preacher and wanted to offer the sacrifices and do all of the ministry of the priest. And he wound up with leprosy. He said, I, 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 I'm not a minister. That's not my place. I'm not going to run into the temple and hide and break the commandments of God. He said, such a man such as I go into the temple and live, I won't go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent them, but had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. And for this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way, and so that they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Nehemiah said, you know what? These guys hired false prophets, and they began to make prophecies. He said, they started a marketing campaign against me, a spiritual marketing campaign against me, to try to make me afraid. 
He said, should such a man as I run away? Everybody said, should such, all the men, all the men, put your hand on your heart. All the men, men lang. Should such a man as I run away? All the ladies, put your hand on your heart. Should such a woman as I run away? Everybody shout, no! Look at this guy. He stands there with everybody against him. The whole religious community against him because they were corrupt. He stands against them because he's trying to rebuild the walls of God. He's trying to do something for God. He said, you know what? I'm not going to run away. I'm not going to become afraid and do something wrong so that they could, could discredit me. He said, no, I'm not a runner. Look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17, verse 16. Jeremiah is put into a pit because he prophesied the true word of God. And he says to God, I have not run away from being your shepherd. I like that. I have not run away from being your shepherd. He's not a runner. Now, take some more. Look at the great men that we studied in our morning devotions. David's mighty men. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 9 and 10. And next to him among the three mighty men was Eliezer, the son of Dodo. How would you like to be the son of Dodo? He was the son of Dodo. I bet he got teased when he was young. Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the son of Ahohi. And he was with David when he defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel withdrew. Everybody say, everybody else ran. He rose. He didn't run. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And the men returned after him only to strip the slain. Let me read you one more verse. Shammah. 2 Samuel 23, verse 11 and 12. And next to him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Harite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils. And the men fled from the Philistines. Everybody say, they all ran. Everybody in the cars, they all ran. But he took his stand in the middle of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines and the Lord worked a great victory. Now, now look at these two men. Everybody else ran. They were last man standing. Now it must have felt a little vulnerable being out there all by yourself, facing down an army all by yourself. It must have been a little nervous. Oh, here's me and where's everybody else? But they took a stand. And when they took a stand, God gave the victory. Who gave the victory? But before God can give the victory, somebody has to take a stand. Now some of you need to realize, if you will stand your ground, God will give victory to your family. If you will stand your ground, God will give a victory to your company. If you will stand your ground, God will give a victory to your business. But sometimes you just have to be a little vulnerable out there by yourself. All God needs is one person to stand their ground. Everybody shout, he just needs one. Now again, these men didn't win the victory because they were the greatest warriors. They won the victory because they stood their ground. 
and God gave them the victory. Do you think they were a little afraid? If they weren't, they were stupid or blind. Of course they were afraid. But they faced their fears and stood their ground. I wonder how they felt as they began to see God work the victory. I wonder how they felt as they began to watch the bodies piling up around them going, man, I've never been able to use a sword like this before. Man, I've never been able to fight like this before. Man, I should be tired. I should be collapsing in fatigue right now. But I'm still going in the strength of God. You just wonder at the thoughts that went through their minds as the bodies piled up around them. And God gave them a great victory. But they stood the ground. Everybody said, stand your ground. King David, they all ran. David ran to Goliath. You look at the Apostle Paul. Now, we're not just talking about battles. Look at Paul. In Galatians chapter 11, Galatians 2, beginning with verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. That's Peter. Because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, these guys who came down to, to Antioch and said, you know, you're not saved just by believing in Jesus. You're not saved by grace. You're not saved by faith. You've got to be circumcised. You had to convert to Judaism. You had to obey the Mosaic law, claiming that they represented the apostles from Jerusalem. He said, before these guys came down from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Peter feared these people. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So that even Barnabas was led astray in their hypocrisies. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like the Jews? Paul called him down. Paul was last man standing. Now, I taught you this when we went through the book of Acts. I taught you. Paul was the last man standing for Gentile salvation. These Judaizers that became so powerful and they, they were destroying churches. And honestly, 20 years later, they had destroyed the church of Jerusalem because even James says, so many have believed in Jesus, but they are zealous for the law. They weren't zealous for salvation by grace. But Paul, Paul, this, this incredible man of God, stood his ground that day when even his close friend Barnabas turned away from salvation by faith, turned away with, from salvation by grace. He stood his ground and fought with them all and debated and argued with them all and caused that great council up in Jerusalem to be held where salvation by grace became a permanent hallmark of the Christian faith. If Paul had not stood his ground that day, I'm sorry, the church, the church probably never would have left Israel ever again. Are we still here? Paul stood his ground for doctrinal truth. But now let's talk to the young people for a minute. 2 Samuel 21, verses 19 through 22. And there was war again with the Philistines at Gob. And Elanon, the son of Jair Organ, the Bethlehemite, a guy from Bethel or Bethlehem, struck down Goliath the Gittite. I thought David killed Goliath. 
Here's another Goliath. Everybody say another Goliath. The shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was again war in Gath. And there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. Twenty-four in number. He was also descended from the giants. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimri, David's brother, in other words, David's nephew, struck him down. These four were descended from the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and the hand of his servants. Young people, straight talk. Every generation has a Goliath. Ulitanathan. Every generation has a Goliath. Every generation has a battle to be fought. Every generation has young men and young women who will stand up and not run from the battle. Take on the hard battles. Take on the things that nobody else is willing to do. Take on the jobs that everybody else runs from. Take on the crises that everybody else runs from. Every generation is going to have their Goliaths. And young people, you just have to learn there are people who make their name and their whole destiny is changed because they do not run. They stand their ground. Would you stand with me, please? I'm going to stop there today. Next week, Lord willing, I'm going to begin to teach you how to put on the full armor of God. All right, I take my stand, but I am not standing naked. Everybody say, I'm not standing naked. I'm going to teach you how to put on the full armor of God. You put on that full armor of God, and you take your stand in Jesus' name. You say, Pastor, you haven't taught us this before. Oh, yes, I did. Back in the 80s. But it's one of those seasons again. It's a season of battle. It's one of those seasons, truths, that are truths of battle must be taught. I want you to lift your hands before the Lord. And I want you to just tell God what your battle is right now. Tell him. What is your battle? It might be financial. It might be giving up a dream. What is the battle that you're facing? Tell God what the battle is. And then tell God, by your help, I stand. Tell him, by your help, God, I stand my ground. Let me close with this verse, Luke twenty-two thirty-one. 31. Jesus looks at Simon. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded you, demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Your Jesus sits at the right hand of God, ever living, to make intercession for you. You're not standing alone. When you stand, when you take your stand, Jesus is sitting there on his throne and he turns to the Father and he begins to pray to the Father that your faith will not fail. Oh, beloved, let that settle in your heart. 
Right now, Jesus is turning to the Father. And he's praying to the Father that your faith will not fail. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Jesus, we come before you awed by your mercy. Awed by your graciousness. Awed by the fact that you care for us. Awed by the fact that you pray for us. Jesus, take that truth and make it real. Take that truth of your prayer that their faith will not fail. Take that truth and make it deep within their hearts that they know you ever liveth to make intercession for them. In your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. My soul. Everybody who's going to stand his ground shouted. Amen. And in the parking lot, everybody's going to stand their ground honked. Amen. Campus pastors, would you come?